So though Augustine's idea that becomes the church theology of original sin might not seem to hold water, it seems that humanity is so often enticed with sin as to as this broken relationship with God to a greater or lesser extent is indeed a part of the human condition. And therefore... God, in God's loving beneficence, in God's enduring and unrelenting love for the world, brings into it redemption. Hello, and welcome to Insurance Certain Hope, a podcast about faith, Jesus, the Church, and other things. I'm Father Jed, the rector of the Church of the Redeemer in Kenmore, Washington. Thanks for being with us. Today in our continuing series on the basics of faith, we're going to be delving back into the outline of the faith, otherwise known as the Catechism, and talking about sin and redemption. Sin and Redemption Question What is sin? Answer Sin is the seeking of our own will instead of the will of God, thus distorting our relationship with God, with, one, with other people, and with all creation. Question How does sin have power over us? Sin has power over us because we lose our liberty when our relationship with God is distorted. Question. What is redemption? Answer. Redemption is the act of God which sets us free from the power of evil, sin, and death. Question. How did God prepare us for redemption? Answer. God sent the prophets to call us back to himself to show us our need for redemption, and to announce the coming of the Messiah. Question. What is meant by the Messiah? Answer. The Messiah is the one sent by God to free us from the power of sin, so that with the help of God we may live in harmony with God, within ourselves, with our neighbors, and with all creation. Question. Do we believe, who do we believe is the Messiah? Answer. The Messiah, or Christ, is Jesus of Nazareth, the only Son of God. I think one of the main things we have to deal with first is figuring out what sin actually is. What is sin? Is it... One of those things where you'll know it when you see it? Is it one of those situations? Or is sin something else? I mean, the difficulty is that for centuries, millennia, sin has sort of been this cudgel. It's the natural preoccupation of the church in some ways because it is that which causes our necessity which is, seems to be based into human nature. But we don't really know what it is. What We know what some people think it is. You know, 
pride, vainglory, hypocrisy. And some of those are sins some of the time. But it's also, but this term sin has also been used for centuries and centuries to try to tell people to stay in their place. Try to tell people, well, no, don't have pride. Don't be proud of yourself. Because that's a sin. Is that what we mean? Is any pride sin? Is any good feeling about ourselves sin? Is any sort of anger sin? Is any sort of hunger sin? Are we supposed to just try to turn all those feelings off? No. No. So what is sin? And and we can't answer this question without getting on this tangent of what is of of this idea that pervades the Christian church of what is original sin. So original sin is the idea that humanity is, humanity's innate sinfulness begins with Adam's sin and so pervades us through our shared human nature with Adam that we can't not sin. We are inextricably linked to sinfulness. That's what original sin means. It's a it's an idea that you can find in the prayer book if you look. It's an idea that's been around in the church for almost two millennia at this point. It's an idea that has its roots most articulated in the theology of Augustine of Hippo, the fourth century bishop from Northern Africa. But the problem with original sin in many ways, is that it removes responsibility from us. Well, if if I'm just innately sinful, then sin isn't my fault. I'm, I'm not I'm not to blame for sin, for my sin, for my choices that which are sinful, because original sin. Meh. Meh. No big deal. Wrong. No. We cannot separate ourselves from the responsibility we have of sin. Plus, there's that whole subjective application thing again, using sin as a cudgel. You know, this is particularly true in the last, oh, say, um, maybe 400 years of white people using the cudgel of original sin to explain away the enslavement of black people, the disenfranchisement and genocide of indigenous peoples, all in all for the sake of enriching themselves. Which, when put that way, actually does seem like sin on the part of the Caucasian people. That does, that does you know, that passes the smell test of sin. So maybe that leads us to what sin is. Colonialism and enslavement? Well, those are... Examples of sin, but it doesn't tell us maybe what sin is. Let's instead start with the Bible. Particularly building off of Genesis and then Jesus. So in Genesis, you know, as we've already touched on briefly in original sin, you have this first pervading problem in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve and the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
It wasn't an apple. It wasn't an apple. Apples are lovely. It wasn't an apple. Apple, the, the, the use of apple in artistic reference was a play on words. Um, because malice is bad and malum is apple in Latin. So it wasn't an apple, but it was a fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve ate of it. It wasn't Eve's fault. It was humanity's fault. It was both their faults. It was everybody's fault. What was their fault? Was it eating? Was it talking back with God? Was it trying to have the last word? Unclear from the Genesis reading. You could go any of several ways. And what was the actual sin in that? Maybe it was all of it. But what happens ultimately in the third chapter of Genesis is that the relationship that God has set up with Adam and Eve and therefore all of creation becomes disjointed. So fast forward to Jesus. And Jesus highlights again and again through teachings and parables, this idea of disjointed relationship with the creator, right? The Take, for example, the parable of the vineyard. You know, owner made a vineyard. And he set tenants to be in charge of it. And then he sent slaves to um, reap the produce of his vineyard. And they beat the slaves and they killed some and they cast out others. Finally, they kill his son. And then Jesus asks the Pharisees, what will the owner do? <laughs> that is a parable that is explaining Sin, this broken, disjointed, non, not functioning correctly relationship. The Apostle Paul, writing 20 years later, says sin is, in essence, idolatry. The replacement of God with that which is created. Whether it, most often, us, ourselves, the person in the mirror. Less often with others. Or things or causes. One modern theologian uh, has said that sin is grace denied. It is not the violation of rubrics, but the rejection of God and the absolutizing of ourselves and our feelings. And to understand this, we have to take a look at some of the really common types of sin that we say don't 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 commit the pride the, the sin of pride or don't commit the sin of of coveting power. Pride itself is not a sin. Being proud of yourself is not a sin per se. But if your pride is actually an active self-centered idolatry, that's sin. Where you worship yourself as the center of all things and all things serve for your benefit. That, that is sin. Or on the other, on the flip side of that, if you might have no pride to the extent that you have a passive other centered idolatry. I am nothing. I am less than nothing and deserve to be destroyed. And this other thing is worthy of all praise, glory, laud, and honor. And we're not referencing God here. Then that also is sin. 
What about the lust for power? Well, power in and of itself, regardless of what things, what many people would like to quote, is not absolutely corrupting. But the problem is the two, just like with pride, the two dipoles of seeking and having power, which lead to sinfulness, which is domination which is self-exaltation, see earlier comments about enslavement and colonialism and genocide, or servility, self-destruction, the complete negation of the self and the good which God created in the self, to the lifting up an idolatry of the other. Put another way, the two dipoles of self are presumption, which is sin, that we presume to know everything and to know what is best and to will it, or apathy, that we presume that, that we have no opinion, we are no thing, we are less than nothing. Both of those, well, those are sin. And the thing about all of them is that they're all about, just like it was in the Bible, relationship. It's all about relationship. The theologians Owen Thomas and Ellen Wondra proposed four categories of sin. Self-centeredness, pride and rebellion, self-abnegation and collusion, and the breaking of communion. Some of these are pretty straightforward. Self-centeredness, the belief that we are the most important, right? That's, that's that self-aggrandizing idolatry. Pride and rebellion. Again, self-aggrandizing idolatry or passive other-centered idolatry. And rebellion. The rejection of that which God would purpose for us. Participation in the relationship that God seeks with us. Self-abnegation and collusion, the complete rejection of self, that passive other-centered idolatry and collusion, the apathy that leads to uncaring about the treatment of others, and the breaking of communion, the breaking of common union, the disruption of our relationship with God and with each other. And with all of creation, right? This has enough room, these four categories, for all of those things that beset us that we call sin. And you could go down through the great litany, which I suggest you might look at. Starts on 140 something of the Book of Common Prayer. You could go all the way down the Great Litany and see how each one of the confessions that is made in the Great Litany is itself one of these four categories, if not more. So though Augustine's idea that becomes the church theology of original sin might not seem to hold water, it seems that humanity is 
is so often enticed with sin as to as this broken relationship with God to a greater or lesser extent is indeed a part of the human condition. And therefore, God in God's loving beneficence, in God's enduring and unrelenting love for the world brings into it redemption because it's not like we can do it. Much of Augustine's idea of that which became a the falls under the term original sin came uh, from Augustine's debate with a humble Celtic monk named Pelagius who, um, if you've heard me talk about Augustine and Pelagius, uh, you might know that I'm a little bit of a Pelagian sympathizer. I think Pelagius gets a bad rap. I think that which Pelagius's disciples purported that Pelagius believed is maybe not quite what Pelagius believed. But Pelagius came from a Celtic understanding of Christianity, which held that humanity must be good because God said so right at the beginning in Genesis 1. And the gospel, according to St. John, reaffirmed that Everything that was created was created through the person of Jesus Christ, the word of God, and is good because the word of God declared it to be so. This Celtic thought says then that sin is like a boat, which is completely crusted over with barnacles, right? You know, Celtic Christianity, lots of sea metaphors. So though it might be almost impossible to tell that it's still a boat, it is still because it's so encrusted with barnacles and other detritus and has been sitting on the land being unused as a boat for so long, at its deepest core and essence, it's still a boat. And therefore, in just the same way, though we may be encrusted with sin from the very moment we're born, may be almost unrecognizable as to the image and likeness in which we, are, we were made if you held the two up to each other. We are still made in God's image and likeness and therefore good. The main thing that the Pelagianism that was rejected by the church, which is not Pelagius' fault, but maybe some of his disciples fault was that well we can do this ourselves right we can we can reject sin all by ourselves we could live without sin without any help from god which is in of itself a problematic thought in regards of sin and self-aggrandizing idolatry sin <laughs> so redemption cannot come from us But it can come from God. But it must come from us. But it can't come from us. Because we broke the relationship and we need to repair the relationship. It's not always up to the person with whom the relationship is broken to repair it. It needs to be up to the person who broke the relationship to repair the relationship. Which is us. But we don't have the ability, right? which I just said. So how do we accomplish the work of redemption because we broke the relationship 
even though God is the only one who can, I guess it's got to be Jesus, the Son, the Word, made flesh, living among us. And we'll talk about that next week. I want to thank you for joining us today as we talk about sin and a little bit about redemption. Lots of things to mull over and think about. There's a great YouTube video, uh, which I will put a link to in the notes for this podcast, about an, a, a Christian, particularly Orthodox, understanding of sin and broken relationship with, between God and humanity, which you might enjoy. But I'm really grateful for you uh, listening to this podcast, and I hope that you will uh, be back here soon to listen again as in sure and certain hope we talk about faith, Jesus, the church, and other things. Take care. And God's blessing be with you. Christ's peace be with you, and the Spirit's outpouring be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.